It's gonna be scary. Not for us. All engine running. Lift off. on Thompson steps right, shoots for the win of three. He got it. He got it. Same my first rodeo. Westbrook to the basket. Turns Schroeder around. Russell Westbrook. House the three in the lead. You betcha. Covington biggest shot of the game, and he hits it. The corner. PJ Tucker. What's up and welcome to another episode of Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. As always, I'm your host, Jackson Gatlin, native Houstonian and the founder slash managing editor of ClutchCityControlRoom.com, your home for all things Houston hoops. You can follow me on Twitter at JT Gatlin, the show, of course, at Locked on Rockets, and the blog at ClutchCityCR. Now, joining us today to talk about Steven Silas, Rafael Stone, and this new era of Houston Rockets basketball is none other than the podfather himself, Rockets Wire editor, Ben DuBose. How's it going, Ben? Pretty well, Jackson. How are you? I'm doing pretty well, and I'm 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 excited. You know, it feels like there's been a quite a quite a bit of we'll call it uh, just despair since the Daryl mm-hmm. Morey, I would agree, especially, and just you know, Rockets fans and, and even the media to an extent have been a little uh, maybe downtrodden mm-hmm. about what's been going on with the organization. But after today's presser with Stephen Silas and Rafael Stone being officially introduced into their new roles as head coach and general manager, this next era of Rockets basketball, I'm feeling a little bit more on the up and up because frankly, it was a really positive press conference with Steven Silas, which kind of carries the trend from the Mike D'Antoni era. Mike D'Antoni was a phenomenal uh, press conference uh, interview, and Steven Silas, he blew me away. What about you? Yeah, I thought so. That was the phrase that uh, Tad Brown, Rockets CEO, used when leading off the press conference talking about Steven. And yeah, I thought he commanded the room. Well, the virtual room, of course, because (laughs) no one's physically there at Toyota Center other than uh, those three guys on the makeshift podium. But I really thought Silas, he had a great command of every subject. You could see how he aced their interviewing process. And, you know, we need to remember that this is a guy who was second to Mike D'Antoni in 2016. And according to some reports, Daryl Morey actually wanted to hire him instead of Mike D'Antoni. I haven't been able to fully confirm that, but there's certainly been some things hinted at that Mike D'Antoni was then owner Les Alexander's preference. So it's not as if Steven Silas is just someone brought in to the new era of Rockets. I know there's some frustration with the departures, Daryl, Mike D'Antoni. We've talked about, obviously, Tillman Fertitta, Patrick having a larger role. We all know the thorny subjects on Twitter that often come up. And I'm not saying that they're without merit. I understand where some of the pessimism has come from. But I think what gets lost, Stephen Silas is not just a product of the new era of Rockets looking for someone to be a yes man or whatever you want to call it. No, Stephen Silas was someone that Gerald Morey, back in the old Rockets, 2016, leading up to this great era, 2017, 2018, 2019, that we all want to get back to so desperately. Gerald Morey really liked Stephen Silas, too. His resume is really strong. He has great endorsements from other players around the NBA, star players, that is, guys like Luka, Steph Curry, LeBron James, Kemba Walker. And I just thought, certainly he's got a great personality. He's very dynamic. You can see how engaging he is and why players want to play for him. But I also just like the X's and O's of what he said. 
look, the Rockets are running out of time in terms of this window with James Harden, Russell Westbrook to win a title. They need to do or at least try different things to see if they can get over the hump. We heard him talking about more off-ball actions on offense, less isolation heavy, a little bit less switching, perhaps even mixing in a traditional big man. Overall, he kind of spoke in terms of diversification, making the Rockets more difficult to prepare for, less predictable was the term that he used. I don't know if it's going to work out, but what I think is pretty clear is the Rockets have given it a try, the Mike D'Antoni way, James Harden first it was – Harden and CP, then it was Harden and Westbrook. They've tried the D'Antoni way, and that's why I was in favor of potentially moving on. It's not even that Mike D'Antoni is a bad coach. He's not, Jackson. However, it just feels like you know you're in this limited time window, and the Rockets, they want to contend with James Harden. He's now 31 years old. You want to maximize that. Look, they've tried it that way, and so it's not even a matter of saying that Mike D'Antoni is bad. You just want to hear that there's something else, another stone that you can turn and potentially look for some margin that you can exploit. Maybe a top-five coach can get something elite out of this roster. Not saying that that's what Steven Silas is. I'm just saying, what if? The theoretical upside is there. And so, you know, he did all the great political leadership things. I can see why players would want to play for him. I can see why the executives, Tad Brown, Rafael Stone, Tillman Fertitta were kind of captivated by him, it sounds like. But more than that, just tactically from a basketball standpoint, I liked what he said. This is a team, the window is running out. They've tried it one way the last two, three years. Well, you can call it the four years of Mike D'Antoni, although that first year was a little bit different. But um, bottom line is they need to try to do some things differently if they're going to try and make one more title run at least out of the James Harden era. Steven Silas seemed to have a plan. Let's see what happens. In Silas, we trust. That's my new motto. It stings a little go. bit because, you know, obviously that used to be the, uh, the in Mori we trust mantra. Right. And uh, in stone, we trust doesn't quite hit the same. So I'm, I'm rolling with in Silas, we trust. <laughs> and <clears throat> you talk about him, you know, captivating the room. I thought one of the, one of his best responses was, you know, the fact that he is a rookie head coach, technically a first time, you know, head coach, but he's had so many years of experience and he's been an NBA lifer, you know, being around the game, you know, since he could walk essentially because of his father, Paul Silas and you know his response to saying that he is a win now coach I thought was so powerful the fact that he has it, it, it appears to be the utmost confidence in himself and his abilities as a coach and what he's going to attempt to get out of this roster and we you talked a little bit about you know the X's and O's elements of what he discussed in the presser and I this happened multiple times where but specifically the one that he hammered home was Talking about in today's NBA, you can't have just one approach to the game. That you have mm -hmm. to be able to give different teams different looks. And to me, that is a clear indicator that while small ball is something that I'm sure that he will be comfortable with coming off of, you know, or earlier in his career, you know, spending time with the We Believe Warriors and Don Nelson, who, uh, you know, was one of the earlier iterations of a small ball roster, essentially. Um, you know, running, sm uh, you know, a smaller group of guys on the court, spacing the game, you know, playing at a faster pace, all those elements. And to me, I think it's, it's a clear indicator, though, by him saying that he wants to be able to show different looks to different teams. It's a clear indicator of him wanting to be versatile. And the mm -hmm. fact that the Rockets are absolutely going to look to, in some capacity, bring back in a big man so that they can have, you know, a look for teams that run, you know, bigger lineups, maybe a more traditional style center um, versus teams that you can get away with running small ball a bit more with. So I think that's going to be something that they absolutely look at this offseason. At least that's what I'm inferring from those comments. Yeah, and it was worth noting that Raphael Stone 
talking about the February 2020 deadline of this past season, mentioned that the Rockets didn't even necessarily plan on going full-time small ball, but he alluded to moves that didn't work out. We've heard reports that they thought they could get DeAndre Jordan, a couple other other possibilities they were looking at. Maybe they thought Bruno Caboclo would be better than he actually was. So the bottom line, and it's not even so much, again, that I want to say the small ball system failed. I wouldn't say that because at times they looked really good. It's just when you aren't the Lakers, you aren't the Clippers, you've got to try to maximize and be as diverse as you can for hope that in a given matchup, you never know what's going to go your way. And the bottom line is the small ball, it locked them in to one style. And I don't even necessarily know if it's fair to say that that's what knocked them out because, quite frankly, they played the larger Lakers into smaller lineups with Marquise Morris. And then when Marquise Morris and Rajon Rondo end up hitting the barrage of three-pointers, that's what sort of knocked them out. So we can go back and forth in terms of exactly whether it was the cause for, for their demise. But the bottom line is when you aren't the Lakers, when you aren't the Clippers, you aren't a super team, you don't have the L.A. market to help you get every sexy free agent that's available for you know, the mid-level, the minimum, the buyouts, whatever it may be, then you've just got to leave yourself as many outs as possible. And the problem with the small ball, and it sounds like that even you know a year ago, Gerald Morey was aware of it. They just couldn't get the, the right pieces to line up it locks you into one particular way. Whereas, you know, we're not even saying that small ball can't work. It's just a matter of, okay, you need these other options so that if in a series it's not going your way, okay, then you can try something different. Because the bottom line is that the Rockets are just not going to have the overwhelming talent advantage. This is not the Lakers. This is not the Clippers. They're going to have to sort of catch lightning in a bottle. And it's pretty tough if there's only one way that you can go about it. You're probably going to have to mix and match to get through the playoffs. And so, yeah, I was really encouraged. It sounds like they get it. And that's why, you know, it's difficult to discuss, but not even saying that like Mike D'Antoni was wrong. I think some of it was they just couldn't get the pieces in last season that they wanted. Hopefully now they have a full off season. Apparently they can spend the mid-level exception. All of those things to me sound pretty promising. But yeah, um, I buy that they are going to try to do things differently. And again, when you're not the Lakers, you're not the Clippers. You sort of have to be creative, try a million different things to try and make up that gap. And it sounds like that's what Steven Silas and Raphael Stone are open and willing and ready to do. Coming up, Ben and I are going to discuss the uh, possible additions to Steven Silas's staff now that Nate McMillan is unfortunately off the board after having signed with the Atlanta Hawks as an assistant over there. We'll get there in just one moment after a quick message from our friends over at Built Go. Whether it's a mental or physical wall, break through it with Go every day. Look, Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's, it's kind of like five-hour energy, but without that same crashing feeling that you get. Plus, it's natural, so it's way better for your body. You know, they come in these little one-and-a-half-ounce packages. You can toss it in your briefcase to take with you to work, uh, put it in your golf bag through the back nine, or you can just keep it in your pocket just to get you throughout your day. You know, whether you're you know, at work, running errands, whatever it may be. You know, it's kind of like drinking a monster, but with just a third of the caffeine and significantly better results. They've got three delicious flavors, peanut butter, honey, which is my personal favorite, one of the three. Um, just can't go wrong with it. Something about peanut butter and honey just belong together. They've got chocolate coconut, chocolate mint, uh, and you can check it out. Just go to builtgo.com and use promo code LOCKED, and you'll get 20% off your very next order. So again, that's promo code LOCKED for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. 
And we're back here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball. If you'd like to call into the show, 713-487-5457. Leave a message for the show. We'll run it back right here, whether it's a spicy hot take. Maybe you disagree with one of my takes, how, whatever it may be. Maybe you disagree with one of Ben's takes. Call into the show. It's always fun to run these messages back. It's a great way for me to interact with you. And that's what I love about this platform, being able to interact with you, our listener. So, Ben, let's talk about the... Uh, assistant coaching staff for Steven Silas. So it's confirmed John Lucas is coming in, is, is returning in, in capacity as it looks like going to be the lead assistant on Silas's coaching staff. So let's talk for a moment about how important that is from a continuity element to bring back John Lucas, who was, you know, had his uh, hat in the ring for the position of head coach. And, uh, you know, apparently based on some reports was James, by all, by all, for all intents and purposes, was James Harden's guy that he wanted as the head coach. So how important is that from a continuity standpoint to, to get him locked in, you know, especially for a first time head coach in Steven Silas? Yeah, I think it's a big deal. When the Mark Stein newsletter came out, I believe, what was it, Tuesday afternoon, there was immediately some despair on Rockets Twitter. I talked to someone with the Rockets organization who told me that, you know, off the record that it's overblown. So I don't think that there's anything that you should panic about in regards to what Mark Stein said in terms of, you know, James Harden having a preference initially for Ty Lue. John Lucas and, of course, rival teams wondering because in 2022 he can become a free agent. Right now it feels like the Rockets are reeling a little bit because of the losses of Gerald Morey, Mike D'Antoni. So it's fair to ask the questions. What really happened to that Stein newsletter is just putting, you know, it's putting a few dots together and trying to make it, you know, a little package it together into something more than it actually is. As I understand it, Harden's on board with this stuff. But at the same time, Look, it is a lot of change for one of the NBA's best players. And ever since he got to Houston in 2012, he's had Gerald Morey as sort of his right-hand man trying to put a, a title contender together. When Gerald left, there's a reason why in his um, goodbye message, that ad that he bought in the Chronicle, we had uh, Gerald Morey talking about working with James Harden to build a contender, not just on the court, but the strategy sessions off the court. So that's sort of the relationship that James and Daryl had. Of course, James has gone out of his way to compliment Mike D'Antoni over and over again. D'Antoni had the belief to make him the full-time point guard that first year. Every time he's asked, James has had nothing but great things to say about Mike. And these are two guys, Mike and Daryl, that are two of the best executives in the game. They are respected for a reason. So it is a lot of change. And at the same time, while I do think that Stephen Silas and James Harden can build a relationship like he had with D'Antoni. Again, there's a reason why Steph Curry, LeBron, Kemba, Luka, those types rave about Steven Silas. At the same time, look, it is new for James. And even though James knows Rafael Stone, he has not been, I would guess, texting Rafael to the same extent that he has Daryl, you know, because Daryl's been the guy for eight years. So with all that change, I do think that ultimately James will be fine. And again, you know, as I've said several times this offseason, he's under contract for at least two more years. So the sooner you even have to think about, okay, what if we need to do something different in terms of organizational philosophy, what if he wants out, would be a year from now. It's not something you need to think about that much now at all. 
with that said, to have everyone in the, on the right page going into the season, it would be a lot to expect him to deal with a new coach, a new GM, all this uncertainty in an organization that honestly under his uh, tenure has been fairly stable. You had Kevin McHale the first three-plus years. You've had uh, Mike D'Antoni the last four. You had Daryl Morey the entire time. It's a lot. So when you factor in all that change to bring in someone that's clearly very close with James, they get along great on a personal level. They relate to one another. Of course, John Lucas has been the director of player development under D'Antoni the last four years. In my opinion, it's pretty important that they kept that bond. Certainly, I'm sure Lucas has it with the entire team that's been around. I've heard he has a great relationship with Russell Westbrook as well. But especially James is sort of the statesman of the franchise, the clear star. He's the most important piece in the organization. I think bringing Lucas back, not to say that he doesn't have his basketball merits. Clearly, he does. I've heard good things about how he teaches them. He's familiar with D'Antoni's concepts, so he can kind of be a bridge between the D'Antoni system and whatever it is, the additional off-ball action, it sounds like, that Steven Silas wants to implement, the defense going from the switching schemes, whatever the new principles are, et cetera, et cetera. I think Lucas can be of value there. He's been a head coach three different places, so clearly he knows what he's doing from an X's and O's tactical standpoint. But beyond that, just the relationships, I think it's big to give James Harden something to kind of feel good about amidst all this change. To me, that's why I love bringing back John Lucas. It it, it gives some form of continuity in an offseason that's had so much upheaval. Now, in addition to John Lucas, there are some names as being reported by Jonathan Fagan of the Houston Chronicle um, talking about Jeff Hornacek is a name that has been mentioned, uh, was mentioned earlier alongside Nate McMillan as uh, interesting candidates for the Rockets to potentially pursue to add on to Steven Silas's staff. Um, Nate McMillan, as we already mentioned, is now unavailable, having been signed to the Atlanta Hawks staff. Now, two more names that were mentioned by Jonathan Fagan uh, are former NBA player uh, Designa Diop. I I feel like I always butcher this name, um, Mm -hmm. but I think I'm getting close there. And then uh, Will Will Weaver, who's actually a Texas State uh, alum and, you know, has spent some time with the 76ers as an assistant coach and is currently over in Australia right now, I want to say. Yeah, Yeah, working with the uh, the Sydney Kings. So uh, a couple names there mentioned, but you talk about the – the continuity aspect, and I want to throw this name out there. You know, the Rockets have an opening now that uh, John Lucas has been moved up to the uh, assistant coaching level. They have an opening for their head of player development position, and it was reported by Kelly Eco that Rafer Alston has some interest in potentially coming back and rejoining the organization in some capacity. But another name that I want to throw out to you that could potentially be a guy who maybe steps into that head of player development role who's been with the organization before. Uh, Harden's former trainer, Irv Roland. Yeah, I think that's a very interesting name. And I think it goes with exactly what I was saying and what we were both saying about the role of continuity and why that's so big for John Lucas and what it means for James Harden. Now, Russell Westbrook was not there when uh, Irv Roland was in Houston, but I believe they have a quality relationship. And I think when you're looking at filling out the end of the bench spots, that's a possibility. We've heard Rafer Alston thrown out by Kelly Eco a week ago as someone having interest in the Rockets. Those are more developmental types. Not that I'm downplaying their role, but at the end of the day, it sounds more like what you're looking for is those top spots. We heard Steven Silas. I actually asked him about it in the press conference about what he's looking for. And the two things he kept going back to were experience and diversity of thought. So it sounds like obviously experience, you're looking at the Hornacek tier, the assistant coaches that you named that Fagan reported that are 
current coaches or have recently been in the NBA. And then, of course, you get to the end of your bench. And those are sort of lottery tickets. And so some of it, I think you can tie into diversity of thought. Is there different ways that you can look at doing things? Again, when you're the Rockets, you have to be creative. You're not the Lakers, the Clippers. You don't have the overwhelming talent advantage, et cetera, et cetera. So I think um, besides that, uh, if you can use one of those spots for the benefit of continuity then or some sort of good vibes, so to speak, then yeah, there's value in that. Not that I'm diminishing Irv Roland's basketball acumen, but again, you're just looking to sort of strategically fill these spots as best you can to check a lot of boxes. And so just as John Lucas checks a box on a personal level, if you're going to have, you know, a deep staff, not just the assistants, we're talking about the guys in the second row as well, then sure, you can look and, and explore doing something that may make your stars happy. I think that makes a, a lot of sense. I would be interested in going down that road if that's something, especially that James Harden wants. As far as the names that you listed, I know he's the most high profile, but the reason I'm interested in Hornacek is that when you think back to his career with the Jazz and then his sense with the Suns and the Knicks, this was someone who was known for off-ball movement. And I know there was the, the whole triangle experiment to a degree, and of course, everything in New York, uh, that's just a cluster from a roster standpoint. It's tough to make anything work there. It's always in a recent cluster years. from a roster standpoint. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I don't know how much to depend on him. But the bottom line is, if there's one thing, sort of theme that runs through Hornacek, the player, and those Utah teams that he played on, and of course, Rockets fans hated, and then his offenses with uh, the Suns and the Knicks, those were not isolation-heavy teams. You had a lot of, of at least attempted off-ball movement. And so you combine that with the comments from Stephen Silas today about running more actions, not having the isolation-heavy just stand around, making them more diverse and harder to uh, prepare for. I think you can sort of see, not just with words, but with actions, if they're trying to get a deal done with Hornacek, and hopefully they do. Now, I know they also wanted Nate McMillan, but honestly – I have a tough time uh, being too frustrated when I really think about it with McMillan going to Atlanta. I know some have said, well, you know, would Tillman have spent or whatever? No, I think the bigger factor, as many people pointed out on Twitter, is that Lloyd Pierce is not exactly on strong footing in Atlanta as far as the head coach. And Nate McMillan's only 56 years old. You can easily see a scenario where Nate McMillan becomes head coach of the Hawks. You can't see a scenario where if Nate McMillan comes to the Rockets that Steven Silas gets let go anytime soon. So I would wager, you know, McMillan would never say that on the record, but I would bet that that's probably a factor. And honestly, if I were in his shoes, I'd probably do the same damn thing if I wanted to get back to being a head coach as soon as possible. So I'm not so more, much worried about the money, especially because, and I'm, I know you're probably going to get to this, they continue to insist that they're going to spend at some point, they're going to have to put up or shut up. So I don't think they're going to go cheap this off season. They look like absolute fools if they did, given what they continue to say. So my guess is that they do get a deal with Hornacek done, and if they do, then I think it's, you know, again, it's not just words from Silas, it's actions. They want more off-ball action. They don't want the standing around the ISO all the time, the way everybody complained about, especially around the NBA the last few years, and it's going to be interesting. Will it work? I don't know. Again, I'm, you know, I hesitate to say, well, you can only succeed if you win a title because, again, that's misleading. Only one of 30 teams can succeed by that definition. But, again, if you're the Rockets and you want to get to the Lakers, the Clippers level, you've got to try some things different. That's something they haven't done a lot the last few years. Let's see what happens. It certainly can't hurt to try. 
I'm glad you brought it up because that's exactly where we are going next because I do want to talk a little okay. bit. We spent some time, we spent a good amount of time talking about Steven Silas and the uh, projected direction for the coaching staff. So I do want to talk just briefly in a moment about Rafael Stone and some of his comments from the presser as well as the official NBA start date, kind of what that means. And then one surprise question for you, Ben, at the okay. tail end of the podcast. And we'll get there in just one moment. And final segment here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for all things Houston Rockets basketball, chatting with Rockets Wire editor Ben DuBose. And Ben, you know, in the presser, because this was a presser for Steven Silas and Rafael Stone, but it did feel, you know, kind of dominated by Steven Silas, I think, sure. you know, and rightfully so. You know, he's the head coach. He's the fancy new, the new thing in town. And also the fact that Rafael Stone is also having to fill some enormous shoes in the absence of Daryl Morey. Um, and First off, I do want to try and go into things with uh, an open mindset of not putting these immense expectations on Stone because I think that's almost unfair to him, you know, him inheriting a role that was dominated by one of the best executives in the league in Daryl Morey, you know, I would make the argument, you know, you'd say top five for most people, I would make the argument top three general manager in the NBA during his time with the Houston Rockets. And so those are some absurdly large shoes for Stone to fill. Now, one of the things that was uh, hinted on, or not hinted on, but spoken about in the presser was just, again, Stone reiterating, as many times that Daryl Morey did, that the luxury tax is not an issue for this team moving forward, that Tillman Fertitta has never given a directive about mm -hmm. uh, you know, cutting costs or shying away from spending in the presence of putting a contender out on the floor. And it continues to be one of those, well, you know, I think most people, fans, and, and even media to this point, kind of they hear those comments, and then most people are just rolling their eyes, waiting for it to actually happen to mean something. And one of his comments actually kind of uh, rubbed me the wrong way a little bit in this presser was him using the uh, the argument that going into the luxury tax uh, inhibits flexibility for, you know, uh, you know, fulfill, uh, I guess, uh, filling out a roster and things of that nature by talking about the hard cap and things like mm -hmm. that. But the issue is you can very easily go into the luxury tax without triggering the hard cap. So that comment seemed a little disingenuous to me. And there were some people even talking about it on the timeline, you know, talking about how, you know, mm -hmm. why the, you know, two and two don't kind of add up. Um, so it is one of those where I would love to see them use the MLE this summer. I'd love to see them actually, you know, yeah. bite the bullet and be in the tax because at this point it's just, it's constantly one of those head scratching things where will they actually do it? Or are we going to see another season where uh, Rafael Stone is, is tasked with potentially ducking the tax for uh, a fourth year in a row under Tillman Fertitta? Yeah, they've been incredibly forthright the last few weeks, both on the record and off the Tim McMahon story that the Rockets plan to spend the mid-level exception, not the um, the non-taxpayer, but the taxpayer, which is at least a year ago started at $5.7 And so since economics is not like they're approving the NBA, it's hard to see it being any more than that. But yeah, that's something that should be able to bring you a decent piece. And the Rockets finishing fourth in the West and not being in that top tier, yeah, they need to add a decent piece to capitalize on the rest of James Harden and Russell Westbrook's prime. I know at least a year ago with Westbrook's contract being an additional year than Chris Paul, you could argue about the repeater tax. Well, that's out the window now. So there are no excuses. It looks absolutely silly if they don't spend it, if they don't go into the tax this year. And of course, the Eric Gordon new contract kicking in, it would be almost impossible to duck the tax this year, especially if you spend your mid-level exception. And, and if they don't do that and free agency will start in just two or three weeks, then all of a sudden, I mean, that just looks ridiculous. 
And I know some will say, well, doesn't it already? Maybe, but I've never seen anything as direct as what we heard today and what has been leaked off the record uh, in some of these source reports the last few weeks. So as far as what I would say, first off with Stone, I mean, we could have talked to him more. I think one reason why, besides Silas being the head coach, one reason why Stone didn't get as many questions, even though he knew it was his first media availability, at the same time, he's an extension of the Gerald Morey tree. So there's a reason why he was brought in. He's a part of the status quo. He was already making decisions. So in theory, it's not anything different. With Steven Silas, you truly went outside the organization to bring in a fresh face. So that's part of why he gets more new questions. As far as the luxury tax in particular, my contention on this, Jackson, yeah, they absolutely have uh, made decisions with regards to finances. I don't buy for a second that they have not. However, I think a lot of it goes back, and I've said this on Twitter the last few weeks, people noticed it more in the past year because, of course, there was a little bit of slippage. You're getting further away from the golden era of that 65-win team, the Chris Ball hamstring, and so people are getting more and more frustrated and shining a brighter light because they want to get back to that form. In reality, in my opinion, the main mistakes from a financial standpoint that were made by this organization were in the summer of 2018, right after that 65-win year, when they let Ariza go, even though they had bird rights. They didn't use, I believe they could have gone biannual with Luke Bamute and basically matched the Clipper offer even more when you consider the state income tax or lack thereof here. They chose not to. Their minimum signings, you know, they wouldn't spend the exceptions. They went with James Ennis, Carmelo Anthony, Michael Carter-Williams. Shout out None to the Rocket, Rockets legends right there. Yeah. None of them worked out at all. And then they did find Daniel House Jr. as a diamond in the rough. And according to some reports, well, some people wonder if you would offer the mid-level exception during the 2018-2019 uh, season, would he have taken like a three-year deal? I suppose you could have tried. Personally, I'm not even convinced he necessarily would have taken it, especially when you consider how well he was playing before the couple of months he went away. So I don't know 100% on that. You can certainly make the argument. But the bottom line is, this past year, I honestly think people forget they did use the mid-level exception. That's how they gave Daniel House the three-year deal at almost $4 million a season. And say what you will about what happened in the bubble. He is a good player. He was essential to their success. So when people say they haven't spent the, the mid-level exception, that's not exactly true. They did spend it this past year. It just didn't feel like it because they had to use it on an internal piece. Where things really went awry was in the 2018 summer. And of course, that was the first full season of Tillman Fertitta as a new owner. My guess, and I've not had this confirmed to me, this is just my personal feelings, Jackson. My guess is that there was a lot of afterglow. Everyone in the organization, <clears throat> everyone in the city, excuse me, felt so many good things about the team at that time because we all thought they should have won the championship, if not for the Chris Ball hamstring against the Warriors. They were so good. And even when, it, even when Trevor Ariza walked, a lot of us said, you know what? It's just Trevor Ariza. You can replace him. Same thing with Luke Bamute. We bought into the mellow hype because, of course, Chris Paul was sort of his pitch man and, you know, pumping him and the fit at, at every turn. And we wanted to believe it'd be different than in Oklahoma City. And honestly, I just think back then, there were so many good vibes. There was not a lot of pressure from the fan base for them to spend. I just think on some level, they thought, you know what, this is a year in which, you know, they did, they did spend the max to retain Chris Paul. And I think maybe they thought at the time, it was the first full off season of Tillman Fertitta, that they were good enough that maybe they could get away with it without having to go that deep into the tax. They couldn't. And since then, they've been trying to get back to that level. And that's why I say a year ago, I do think they spent the MLE. That's, they don't keep Daniel House Jr. without doing that. I'm 100% convinced of that. But at the same time, um, 
they're still trying to get back to that level of 2018. That's where it started. The most optimistic case I can give you, Jackson, what I hope is the case, because I agree, it just doesn't make sense with the facts to say that finances have never been a consideration. The most optimistic spin I can put on it, and I'm hoping this is the case, is that in 2018, there was just sort of this hangover, this afterglow from how good they were at the time. They made some mistakes then. They did not spend as aggressively as they should have. And now, you know, they're realizing those mistakes. We've heard them say that they're going to spend the mid-level exception, which is really encouraging. Hopefully they go out and do it. I'm not saying that we should throw a parade, even if, even if they do, because it doesn't absolve them of the prior mistakes. I'm just trying to explain sort of a train of thought as to, you know, why this, why and when this went awry originally and why it might be different now. My hunch is that they've sort of learned. Now, they, yeah, I get this frustrating because they don't want to go on the record and say that that's what happened. No one, no one likes to admit their mistakes. My guess, just me to you, I think that's probably what happened a couple of years ago. They've learned from it, and hopefully they spend more aggressively, as they say they will, this offseason. You know, and, and I think it is so important. I think, you know, sometimes we get caught up in the emotions of what all is going on, the optics of the organization at times, or, um, you know, the emotions of a, of a you know, mile-high win or a crushing defeat. Um, sometimes, but it is really important to be able to step away and, you know, take a, uh, a thousand foot look at what's going on at a situation. And I think that uh, David Weiner, uh, you know, Bema Thug on Twitter, uh, you know, phenomenal follow if you're not following him on Twitter, uh, kind of was playing devil's advocate the other day and discussing the luxury tax and how from a monetary standpoint, the way that these contracts work with their, especially max contracts, both for James Harden and Chris Paul, who was then obviously later on flipped into the max contract of Russell Westbrook, have these built in 8% increases in them, right? And because of that, he explained on Twitter that it makes it increasingly more difficult to dodge the luxury tax in later seasons when you have multiple max level players signed because their growth of contract outpaces the growth of the salary cap. And so he was playing devil's advocate by essentially saying that it kind of makes sense that they spent the earlier seasons of those contracts while they were still smaller in scale dodging the tax then and that now that they're at this point where both Harden and Russ are making over 40 million or if they had never traded Chris Paul this contract would still be on the books and Chris Paul would be making over 40 million dollars um it makes sense now that they would be willing to pay the tax because there is it's almost impossible to dodge the tax when 80 plus million dollars of your right. payroll is dedicated to two players so just from a logistics standpoint i understand and see that argument and then now you know now that they're finally in this position you know it'll it'll be very telling you know what they do next regarding you know payroll and how they approach the situation at hand so again you know i just like providing context just yep. you know just like you do and many others i'm trying to you know get in a better understanding of what's going on with sure. the Houston Rockets so um we kind of put this off to the very end, but it, we do have uh, this, you know, somewhat almost pretty much confirmed start date for the NBA. It looks like December yep. 22nd is going to be the date, um, which is so insane to think about that we will have the yep. NBA draft one month before the start of the NBA season. And we'll have an entire off season yep. to cover in the span of a month. Ben, or what are you, what are you looking forward to Ben most from this, this frantic scurry, uh, you know, of, of four weeks of off season crammed into or yeah. I guess three months of offseason crammed into four weeks I should say yeah. um, before we get our NBA basketball back I'm looking forward to the end of November whenever they set the date for free agency because those deals are going to come so fast because no one can wait because they have done this before there's precedent during the 2011 lockout they resolved that around Thanksgiving and they started on Christmas and so it was the same sort of rapid fire free agency 
But the bottom line is, you know, typically you'll see some guys that wait around to see what the opportunities are to try and leverage, you know, the right deals for them. And I understand the financial incentives for them of doing so, but honestly, it can slow the offseason a little bit more than it should. Now that's not going to happen because teams are going to be scrambling to get these guys ready for training camp. And if you don't sign within, you know, presumably a week, then you're going to be losing reps and opportunities to guys that are in camp and ready to go. So there's a huge incentive for these deals to get done sooner. Now, I understand that it's not all going to start November 23rd or whatever date that they decide on. Of course, there's going to be some informal, call it tampering if you want, conversations this month. So it won't really be as fast as it feels like. But with that said, it's going to have to move really quickly from a a fan's perspective, a media perspective. Yeah, it's going to be fun. I enjoy when free agency moves quickly as opposed to, say, you know, baseball when it just moves at like a glacial pace. You know, so I think that's going to be fun. And as far as the season, you know, one thing that I just want to push back on with the date I don't really agree with the arguments that the short off season, you know, they just wrapped up the NBA finals last month is going to lead to say a lower quality of play. First off, that's only two teams. Most teams were done, you know, in August, even in the case of the Rockets, you made it to the second round further than all, but I think like six other teams, then they made it until mid September. So you're still going to have uh, two and a half months off. The other piece, the more important piece of the puzzle that a lot of people keep forgetting is the four months off that they had from mid-March until mid-July when they reported to the bubble in which now not saying that they didn't do anything but there were zero team activities there was zero organized when facilities were closed due to COVID so you certainly had guys like Harden that were working out to stay in shape but that happens in the typical offseason anyway they were not putting their bodies through the ringer of organized NBA team activities and games and the reason I mentioned that the reason the offseason typically needs to be you know four or five months long is that for a lot of these players, you play consecutively every day, training camp and games for six, seven months. It's a grind. It's brutal on their bodies, just the cumulative mileage. That's not the case this year because even though the season just wrapped up in you know October at the latest, you had those four months off right at the end of the regular season. So their bodies have not been through the mileage in 2020 that they typically are. So I think a lot of people are just struggling to kind of recalibrate their expectations. They're used to an offseason being four months long, and the NBA players, they've been playing for eight straight months. They need that time off to sort of recharge. They haven't been in this case. We're talking you know six to eight weeks at the most for all but the Lakers and the Heat. So I think the quality of play will be fine. I think a lot of these guys, you know, I'm sure LeBron might be a little bit miffed given how deep they went now. I'm sure exhausting <laughs> a championship run was, especially if you're in your mid-30s. But for the most part, I think the quality of play arguments are overblown. Because of COVID, this is not this was not a typical season. It's not like they need the full four months to recharge that they would otherwise. And you know, for the Rockets, I think they'll be ready to go. I think, you know, by training camp, it'll be almost three months since the season ended in the playoffs. And, of course, the hate is for the Rockets. You get uh, David Waba ready to go after the Achilles tear that he had with the Nets last year. So I think, all in all, the Rockets are going to be fine. Most NBA teams will be fine. And the quality of play is not something you should worry about. Yeah, Nawab is a name that, uh, you know, I was having a, a great discussion with some uh, Rockets fans uh, from social media the other night, just a good group of people. Um, and uh, David Nawab is a name that a lot of people keep forgetting it is going to be absolutely, I think, a crucial part of this rotation moving forward, um, you know, all things permitting health wise, you know, because he looked you know, just looking at the the tape of him before his injury, um, he looked phenomenal. And so as long as he comes back healthy and right uh, with his body, I think he will absolutely be a contributing member to this Rockets team moving forward. And um, you threw out that November 23rd date 
uh, kind of early on in your commentary. And I do think that you just looking at things with the NBA draft uh, set for the 18th of November, I do think that uh, the 23rd would make sense that following mm-hmm. Monday after the Wednesday draft makes sense as the start or I guess the official start of free agency, obviously, like you said, with all the tampering taking place before that. But it's absolutely going to be a whirlwind of events, and it's going to be so fun to cover. And we will, we will consistently yep. have all the coverage right here at Locked on Rockets. But, Ben, before I get you out of here, I have to ask you one more question. Let's do it. I need to know your thoughts on the potential baby blue alternate Rockets Ooh. jerseys. I like it. They look fun. I'm guessing the only <laughs> official photos I've seen were the shorts. From what I could tell, the full jersey looked kind of like a mock-up, so I don't know if that's 100% legit or not. But honestly, that was – and I'm – so I, I'll be honest. I was born in 84. I'm 36 now. So my most diehard years were actually those uh, – navy blue pinstripes now of course i was a fan during the championship years 94 95 but i was 10 and 11 while i watched the games it wasn't like i had a you know a true knowledge and appreciation the depth like i do now until you know the blue jerseys which were kind of i think 96 through 2002 something like that so those were basically my teenage years those were when and say what you will about the jerseys being not aesthetically the most pleasing in the world and of course the end of that era they started tailing off a little bit it was the end of the Hakeem years etc etc I get it but for me Jackson I'm assuming the baby blue is going to be sort of tied in with now I know the jerseys were navy blue but there was some baby blue in that scheme of the late 90s to me those were some fun basketball teams they didn't win at all but I enjoyed Barkley's tenure here of course the launch of the Steve Francis era the end of Hakeem and it was my formative year sort of becoming a Yao, Yao's diehard. rookie year Yao's rookie yeah, year he rocked point. those jerseys so good point yeah that's a that's a great recall as well so for me I like him it's an era that again I understand why a lot of people don't like those uniforms but for me it's a lot of fun times and I'm guessing I have no idea what the blue jersey would, would represent if they were not some sort of tie to that because of course the Rockets red is their dominant color uh, throughout history we understand that but yeah, I have a soft spot for that era because that's when I was first becoming, you know, truly a diehard fan. Uh, I think a lot of players, you know, a lot of great Hall of Famers wore those jerseys, the names we just um, rolled off. So it's very unconventional. It'll be new. But personally, Jackson, I, I'm on board. They look pretty fun. And at the end of the day, look, this is this is sports. Let's have fun. And I, I think uh, it'd be a nice kind of paying homage to an interesting era, if nothing else, of Rockets basketball. Absolutely. Sports are fun. It should be fun. It's fun to talk about. It's fun to enjoy and experience. And, uh, you know, Anthony Duckett from over at Space City Scoop actually threw out that, you know, he kind of was getting almost like Euler vibes a little bit from the baby blue color scheme. Um, So maybe there's a little bit of that tied into it. Um, But it's going to be interesting to see what they do. And um, honestly, as long as we move on from, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't super against the white alternates, the H-Town NASA inspired jerseys. Um, I wasn't super against them, but you know, moving on to another, uh, especially a fun looking alternate like this one, uh, I'm completely on board with it. So I think you and I are sharing the same opinion there, but, um, yep. I appreciate your thoughts on that. I wanted to save that one for last just cause I'm, I'm kind of throwing that as the sneak question for any of my guests, because I just gotcha. I like, I, I want to hear the opinions on them. Cause I feel like I'm going to get that one person who's like, Oh, I hate them. They're hate awful. Them. Yeah. <laughs> um, but all right, man, I appreciate you taking the time to be here with us today. You know, the drill, go ahead and let everybody know where they can find your content at. Yep, absolutely. Uh, RocketsWire.usatoday.com, uh, the RocketsWire on Twitter, and of course, uh, at Ben Dubose on Twitter. Thanks as All always right. for having me on, buddy. 
Of course. Thanks, Ben. We appreciate you stopping by. As always, the podfather himself, Ben DuBose. Uh, For today's episode, that's going to do it. So as always, thank you so much for listening. And we look forward to having you back right here at Locked on Rockets, your daily podcast home for everything Houston Rockets basketball.